Well, let me say good morning to all of you, joining you from wherever this finds you in YouTube land. Uh, some of you on docks, some of you on decks, some of you in cottage country, some of you here in the GTA, uh, some of you joining us from Germany and the Ukraine and England. Wherever God has situated you, we're glad that you have joined us. We're making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. It's been quite a lengthy journey for us, and we're actually coming close to the end, only three weeks left. But this morning, we come to really an interesting and a very challenging set of words, a single verse. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open it up to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7, and let's read together verse 6, these cryptic but engaging words of Jesus, who said, Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to the pigs. For if you do, they will trample them under their feet, and they will turn and tear you to pieces. Challenging little bit of teaching, isn't it? In this passage, describes groups of people. Some are swine. Some other people, uh, they're more sensitive. Uh, you, of course, are, are not the pigs. You are the spiritually sensitive. You can appreciate what's sacred and what's holy. But them, those, those other folk, the swine, they have this spiritual disability. Uh, you have only pearls to offer, right? Pearls of wisdom, pearls of truth pearls of good advice, these pearls that if received could just straighten everybody out. If only they'd received them, but they're swine. They're spiritual clods. They're people of other religions, other beliefs, other worldviews, or, or they're secularists. You shouldn't waste your time on these people. They're swine. They're not worthy. That's what Jesus is saying here, right? I actually took those words out of a very typical sermon on this passage. But the trouble with reading Scripture that way is that it, it just doesn't sound particularly Jesus-y, does it? It doesn't sound like something Jesus would say. This business about swine and about pigs, about pearls and about these farm animals, one of Jesus' more intriguing sayings, but one that for much of history, people have been unsure about what to do with. Sunday school teacher asks a little child, what does this mean? Don't cast your pearls before swine. And, and little Jacob, all of age six, says it means I should never give my sister my toys. Is that what Jesus has in mind? Oh, yes, he's quite insistent. My toys are my pearls. My sister is the swine. <laughs> As part of the kind of friendly banter that that we exchange, maybe often around here, even on Sunday mornings. We might hold the door open for a friend, and we would say, age before beauty, or something like that. As a comeback, you might respond by saying, pearls before swine. But really, is that what Jesus is getting at? Because the problem with the some people are unworthy swine that you should not help interpretation is that, at least according to the Bible that I read, Quite consistently, the sinful, the fallen, the broken, the messed up, the all who have gone astray like sheep wandering into the abyss, that category is reserved for, for us, for you and for me. 
And if Jesus is the great treasure, the pearl of heaven, then he never should have been cast into our midst because we're the messed up category. We're, we're, the, we're, we're the swine bunch. But Jesus actually said it's precisely for, for broken, messed up, sinful people that he came. You can flip back into the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2. These words that sort of set the tone for his ministry on earth. Chapter 2, verse 17. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but to speak to sinners. And Jesus never taught that we shouldn't do good things for people who might reject them or might misuse them. In fact, he taught precisely, precisely the opposite. Earlier in Matthew, in chapter 5, we read those words. You love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you so that they might become children of our Father in heaven. And he causes the sun to rise on both the evil and the good. So let's be clear. Whatever else this passage might be saying, it's certainly not saying that there are these different classes of people who are to be viewed as pigs or dogs and therefore unworthy of the great pearls of wisdom that we might have to offer them. And just to be absolutely clear about it, nobody ever taught or modeled the worth and dignity of every human being and of the universal command to love all people with the depth and the clarity and the urgency of Jesus Christ. Nobody ever spoke so firmly about those things. So what, what does the passage mean? The problem with giving a pearl to a pig is not so much that the pig isn't worthy. The problem is it's just not a very helpful thing to a pig. Very few pigs wear pearls. I mean, I suppose there are a few. I actually did a Google image search, and there's a bunch. They're the prestige pigs. But but generally, they're just of no real value or use to a barnyard animal. What Jesus seems to be getting at is a deeper problem about human relationships. And, and there's a wisdom here that will help to, to save your friendships and your marriages and your relationship with your kids. Because sometimes the pearl, that thing that you know that is so wonderful to you, that you want so badly to impart to another person, will not be wanted and will not be received and will not be seen as helpful. In that case, you could keep trying to ram it down their throats. And the byproduct of that approach is usually hostility and resentment. Or you could decide, you know what, I'm not going to force it. Not throwing pearls before these people if, if it doesn't seem like it's of worth or value to them. A pearl does nothing to nourish a pig. A nourishment is primarily what pigs are looking for. I, I grew up in a rural family and a farming family for many generations. If you put a bunch of slop in the trough, pigs are, well, they're as happy as pigs. But if you put nothing but pearls in the pen, you won't have a happy pig. You'll have a hungry, resentful pig. And you might ask, you, you might say, you, you ungrateful pig, look at all the pearls that you've been given, but that won't help. Eventually the pigs, they'll turn, and they will quite literally take a bite out of you because, well, they're hungry. And unlike the pearls, at least you're edible. <laughs> Same thing with a dog. 
We love dogs. We have a dog, Bailey, a little beagle. And we could give him sacred things. Bailey, here's a New Testament. Bailey, here's a Jesus bumper sticker. Bailey, here's some rosary beads. But the only thing that Bailey knows to do with things like that is nose them around and take a bite out of them. Bailey's a dog. Every year around November, we put out a myriad of different nativity sets all around our house. Some of them have bite marks in them. One of our cats made an attempt to digest a few of them. And so into the back of the sheeps, there are these little cat-shaped bite marks. And then, then once the cat went after one of the shepherds, and a shepherd went missing. We could put up with bite marks in the sheep and a missing shepherd, but it all came off the rails when she went after Jesus. Nico, you stay away from Jesus. <laughs> and it's, it's not that you don't want good things for your pet, but you don't give sacred things to them, because, not because the animal's unworthy, but because this is of no help. This is something important, I think, for people to understand. And when you have the Bible, and when you're studying it in mind, that larger context always matters. So whenever you're reading a verse, read back a few verses. Read forward a few verses. This morning, we're just going to read back, because in Matthew 7, we've been looking at this week by week. Jesus is talking all about the wrong ways of relating to people. Religious folk are particularly prone to some of these things. So he's addressing a crowd with religious folk in it. Three weeks ago, you can go online and catch up if you missed this one. We saw where Jesus said, don't judge. Thou shalt not judge, Matthew 7, 1. And again, the point wasn't that you're not called to be careful or make discernments, but that you're not supposed to use condemnation to engineer superiority in your relationships with other people. He speaks out against condemnation engineering. But two weeks ago... We saw Jesus go on. He says, don't point out the speck in your brother's eye when you see there's a plank in your own. Don't concentrate so much on your sister's faults that you miss what's going on in your own life. And he warns people against criticizing and blaming. And then this morning he comes to this cryptic passage, don't throw your pearls to pigs. And he's still talking about the wrong way that often religious people relate to others. It's too bad most of you aren't meeting in person because when we planned out this sermon, we were going to give you all pearls as a little reminder of this morning's message. (laughs) Or maybe pigs. Maybe that would be better. Jesus is forbidding the passage, in this passage, the practice of what you might call pearl pushing. Pearl pushing. When you're trying to push your wisdom, your will, your way, your superior knowledge onto other people. Even when they don't want it. Even when they've been quite clear that this isn't the time, that it's not helpful. Now you've been through the Bible several times, most of you. And you might wonder, but doesn't the image of the pearl, doesn't that in the Bible always mean something of great value to Jesus? Like... He talks about the kingdom of heaven as a pearl. You should know that Jesus, just like any other communicator, Jesus uses a variety of images. He uses them flexibly. Like one time he describes the kingdom of heaven saying it's like yeast. 
because it's, it's amazing capacity to grow and to rise. But another time, he says, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the scribes, like yeast is a negative thing. So here you have in Matthew 7, Jesus teaching something with unforgettable humor that you don't put a pearl into the mouth of a pig. And you should probably put pearl and pig both inside of air quotes. Pearl pushers. Drifting into the habit of criticizing people more naturally than encouraging. That's just what what a pearl pusher does. Against that attitude, let's contrast something from another part of Scripture. In Romans, in chapter 14. Romans 14, 13, the Apostle Paul says, Let us therefore stop turning our critical eyes on one another, because that's what pearl pushers do. They take it upon themselves to correct other people, because what they notice first and what they notice always is where other people are wrong. Somebody once said there's only two kinds of drivers in the world. There's the maniacs who drive faster than I do, and there's the idiots who drive slower than I do. The point is, if you look for flaws, you will find flaws. I guarantee you, if you search for faults, you will be successful. But then you'll go through life always wondering, why don't people want to be around me? Pearl pushing is a lonely way to live. Pearl pushers tend to adopt this posture of superiority. The pig, the pig generally notices this. Turns out, pigs, unlike a lot of barnyard animals, are pretty sensitive creatures. Teaching here is that if the person isn't ready, you don't push it. Part of what it means to love is not just knowing what to say. It's knowing when to say it. Or maybe more importantly, when not to say it. This is from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 14. Um, I'm going to give this to you as a takeaway. You test this out tomorrow morning. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Try it tomorrow morning. 5 a.m. Wander in the bedroom of your teenager and shout a blessing into their ear. And watch them receive that and, and watch their posture. What they want most is to sleep. I guess the idea is this, that this thing that you want to offer, this pearl, it might be genuinely good wisdom. Maybe it's actually about the gospel itself. And when it comes to telling other people about your faith, one of the most important tips, if you like, one of the most important tips that you can follow is the simple law of supply and demand. In other words, you monitor the, the, the level of demand that's coming from the other person. Are they asking questions about God? Do they want to know a little bit about you and your story and your faith? You adjust your level of supply, how long you go on talking about spiritual matters, to be commensurate with their level of demand. Are they still awake? Are they listening? If the person isn't looking at you anymore, if they're not nodding their head, if they're not asking questions, if they're not making those sort of nods and grunts that indicate that they're listening, if they're leaning backward, if, if their eyes are closed, you stop pushing the pearl. Start watching 
the person. Pearl pushing can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a workplace. It can happen between friends. It can certainly happen in a church. But the place where, at least in my, in my humble opinion, the place where pearl pushing is most likely to happen and most likely to do damage is between parents and children. Parental pearl pushing is one of the major sources of alienation in families. And here's why. I mean, when our children were young, we controlled almost every part of their lives. When they ate, when they slept, what they wore, where they went, who they saw, what they heard, we could, we could really mess them up, couldn't we? That's a heavy weight to carry when you're a parent. I think there's only one thing that might be harder than being control in control of a child's life. And that's not being in control of your child's life. We live with pressure and expectations and worry and hopes and love and ego, and they're all mixed up together. And that's just the truth for those of us who are parents. And all of those inflated expectations and pressure, they can lead sometimes to pearl pushing. And suddenly, sit up straight, clean your room, get your homework done. It drifts into something else. I don't think that model nuclear reactor that you built is good enough to get an A. I guess I'm going to have to do it for you. Why aren't you more like, why can't you, why don't you, why are you always disappointing your mother and I? You may not say those things out loud, but again, pigs have really sensitive radar. And often kids know exactly what we're going to say before we say it. Again, to be clear, the point of Jesus' teaching here on the pearl and the pig is, is not don't confront, it's not don't set boundaries, it's not don't enforce consequences. We do that. That's part of a parent's job. But Jesus' point is you, you don't force your wisdom on non-receptive people. Why? We've said this again and again. You cannot control any human being other than yourself. They have their kingdom where they're in charge, you have yours. And if you've set it up as your role in life to try and be control of somebody else's kingdom, that is a recipe for despair. You cannot make sure that any other human being turns out right. In the end, God is the only one who can enter into somebody else's little kingdom at the deepest level. And bring change. In particular, those of us who love God and who are following Jesus, one of the things that we want most for our children is for them to know and love and to follow God God as well. There's nothing more painful, I think, than, than for a parent to know that the greatest treasure of their life is unwanted by their child. God makes people free. 
even at the cost of great pain to God himself. I mean, think about this. God loves people. He loves them. He chooses to love them even when they use that God-given freedom to reject God. He makes the sun shine, causes the rain to fall. This is Matthew 5.45. The sun shines, the rain falls on people who love him and on people who shake their fist at the heavens. This is why in a spiritually flourishing church, everybody, not just parents, everybody owns the responsibility of helping our children, our students, grow up rooted in faith in God and in life and in love. So let's make it really personal for a moment about MCBC. Let's talk about our church. Some of the very best guidance for doing student ministries is that there ought to be a five-to-one ratio. In other words, for every five kids, there ought to be at least one committed, loving, wise holy, creative volunteer in their midst. That's the ratio. But it turns out that those who do research about faith development have suggested that the numbers are right, but the ratio is actually flipped. That the biggest predictor of a child remaining committed to God when they grow into adulthood is if they've had a multi-generational team, a family, a congregation, a group of people investing in them. So if you're a parent, what you really want is a team of five adults investing in each of your child's life. That team could include grandparents, aunts, uncles, volunteer ministry leaders. Maybe it's somebody you go on a mission trip with. Maybe it's somebody in your small group. Maybe it's a parent of one of your kid's friends. Five to one. Here's a really weird thing about kids. I don't fully understand it, but I've seen it happen often. There will come a time in your life when they don't want your pearls anymore as a parent. As great as your pearls may be. But they might take it from somebody else. Tony Dungy, famous Super Bowl winning NFL coach. Son going through high school, playing on the football team expending a ton of energy in practice and in games. All he'd eat for breakfast every day was a Pop-Tart. Now listen, I I like Pop-Tarts. Most people like Pop-Tarts. But they're not the greatest nutrition in the world. And so Tony is trying to teach his son about the science of nutrition and training and how he needs a more substantial breakfast. This is nothing, he says, holding up the Pop-Tart. And he's getting all of this wisdom, this pearl, from an NFL Super Bowl winning coach. And it just, right over his head. Then one day, Tony comes downstairs, and his son is fixing this great breakfast. Eggs and oatmeal and fruit and yogurt. And and, and Tony said he was so glad that this pearl had finally gotten through to his son. And he couldn't resist commenting, hey, I can see you're finally fueling up today, buddy. And his son said, yeah, my coach said I needed a bigger meal. (laughs) I mean, here you have his dad, Super Bowl winning NFL rock star, but he's dad. And sometimes the person doesn't want that pearl. You know, we all own together the responsibility of of passing faith to the next generation. I just wanted to say this morning as we recognize graduates, not only are we so proud of you, We're so proud of everyone who invested in you. 
I'm so grateful for every person who volunteers, who gives of their time and energy. They often give out of what's left over at the end of busy days. They've offered their energy and their heart to our kids and our students. They've invested in them. They've helped them to come and know and appreciate the love of God. And then I wanted to say a word to our parents. Those of you who we know you love your children, they're all grown up, but you look at them and, and you think, boy, they're far away from faith and far from God. Know this, you still get to love them. You can still love them no matter what. You can and you will work and pray every day for what's good in their lives. And know that their story isn't over. And especially you realize this. That God loves your child even more than you do. That his heart breaks over your child even more than yours does. And that it's okay to release your child into the hands and the care of God. I'll say this too to all of you who are parents. You are responsible to your child, but you are not responsible for your child. This is a burden that you cannot carry. And so like so many things, you pray, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. It's one of those things that pearl pushers have to learn. We'll close with a, a story that I came across years ago. I don't know, this might be a bit of a preacher's favorite, Sheldon, but a story about what happens when you stop looking at people with a critical eye and trying to force all of that wonderful stuff you've got on them. It was actually written quite a while ago. It's fiction. Uh, but I want to tell you the story, and then I want to tell you the story behind the story. Uh, the story is about a fifth grade teacher named Mrs. Thompson and a fifth grade student that she absolutely did not like. His name was Teddy Stollard. Teddy didn't play well with other children. His clothes were always kind of a mess. He was just unpleasant to be around. As teachers, you're not supposed to say that, but she felt it. He was disruptive. He was uncooperative. The days when he stayed home, those were the great days for Mrs. Thompson. And it got to the point where she actually took a peculiar kind of delight in making a lot of red marks on his test papers, letting him know just how much he wasn't doing well made her feel kind of good. And it wasn't until about halfway through the year when she was reviewing files that she come to, came to learn a little bit more about Teddy's story. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Here was his. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy's a bright child with a ready laugh, and he's a joy to be around. Huh. Second grade teacher wrote, Teddy's an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he seems troubled. We've learned that his mother is very ill. Life at home must be a struggle. Third grade teacher writes, Teddy's mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, 
But his father doesn't seem to show much interest. Teddy's fourth grade teacher writes, Teddy's withdrawn, doesn't seem to show much interest in school. By now, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem, and she was ashamed of herself. And she felt even worse when all of her students began to bring in their Christmas presents, wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright, shiny paper, except for Teddy's. Teddy did bring a present to his credit, clumsily wrapped in brown paper that he'd gotten by ripping up a a grocery bag. Mrs. Thompson was careful to open his in the middle of all the other ones, and some of the children started to laugh when she found inside of it an old rhinestone bracelet with a bunch of the stones missing and a bottle of perfume that was only about one quarter full. But she stifled the children's laughter when she put on the bracelet and talked about how wonderful it was, then dabbed some of the perfume onto her wrists. At the end of the the school day, Teddy Stallard stayed after school just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson, you smell just like my mom today. And her bracelet looked really pretty on your wrist. And after the children left, she just sat at her desk and wept for about an hour. And she said as she thought back on that moment, it was on that day that she quit teaching reading and writing and arithmetic and started teaching children. Mrs. Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy. And as she worked with him and saw something good in him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the more she believed in him, the faster he responded. By the end of the year, Teddy became one of the top kids in that class. Six years later, she got a note back from Teddy. He wrote that he'd finished high school second in his class. Four years later, another note saying that while things had been really tough, He would soon graduate from college with honors. Four more years passed. Eventually, another letter came, this time signed Theodore F. Stallard, M.D. And he told her he'd met a girl, and he was getting married. And he asked if she would come and sit in the place reserved for the mother of the groom, and she did. And on her wrist, she wore that old bracelet. And on her neck, she dabbled some of that perfume. And when, when they were together on that day, he thanked her for being the best teacher that he'd ever had. And she told him that he had it all wrong, that he was the one who had taught her. That's the story. Here's the story behind the story. It was written by a woman named Elizabeth Ballard. She said it was triggered by two real-life events. Once was a time when she'd been teaching Sunday school because she was a follower of Jesus. And she was teaching that passage, don't throw your pearls before swine. And she was teaching a grubby little boy who had given her a rhinestone bracelet and a cheap bottle of perfume. And the other event, the real-life event that had triggered the story was 
was a reminder of a moment in her own childhood. She had grown up impoverished, no money. And she brought her teacher a gift of pecans from a tree in her yard. And all the other students laughed. Her teacher kind of saved her by saying she was planning to make a fruitcake and this was exactly what she needed. Of course, she wasn't going to make a fruitcake. Nobody makes fruitcake. Fruitcakes just happen, right? They're, they're like accidents in sinkholes. But, but the, story, the story has been told and retold and has touched so many people over the years because it reminds us that the eyes we use to look at the world matter. Eyes of judgment, eyes of love. I don't know about you folk, but, but I think the world is kind of tired of Christians trying to force their pearls on other people. Maybe that's a hard word for the church in this generation, but I actually don't think it's our job to run around correcting non-Christian people, giving lectures to people who aren't asking for it, explaining everything that's wrong with the world and what the problem is with this group and that group and why these people behave in ways that we don't think they should. I think maybe, folks, it's time for followers of Jesus just to come alongside people with hope and healing and some humility and servanthood and generosity and love. Again, it doesn't mean that we stop discerning but we don't allow our discernment to become a way of engineering condemnation. I was thinking this week about how Jesus created what became for much of history one of the most inclusive, inviting movements in the world. In Jesus, this is the gospel. In Jesus, there will be no more divisions. The dividing walls have been torn down. No more separating Jews and Gentiles. Or we could say black or white, Hispanic or Middle Eastern. No more slave or free or upper class or middle class or those who struggle just to grind out a life. No more male, no more female. This week, no more pearl pushing. No more judging and condemning, superiority. No comparing, no blaming. And I know that raises the question, if you're not supposed to relate to people by judging or condemning, and if you're not supposed to force advice on them, then how are you supposed to relate to people? What is it you're supposed to do? If you're concerned about something, there's a problem, and and you want one thing and they want another, Jesus has a way. It's actually the simplest. It's the best practice for human relationships on earth. It has a way of uniting people. It almost magically puts you on the same side with people that you can't stand. It allows you to relate to them and relate to God. It's the basic operating system for the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about it next week. But for this week, no pearl pushing. No condemning. As you move from one relationship to the next, you ask God this question. God, would you help me see in this person what you see? When you look at them, would you help me to think what you think and feel what you feel and then say what you would say?
Let's pray together. Our God, when we, when we echo the words of Jesus and say, your kingdom come, may a little bit of what it's like up there come down here. We know there's a challenge to our own lives in those words. How will we relate? What will we say? What will we not say? How will we discern and how will we accept? And God, we, we need you in our lives as we try and understand all of those things. It's not easy for us. We have strong opinions and, and boy, we want to share them. But more than anything, Lord, we desire Jesus. We want to be like him. We want other people to like him. And we would rather be the one who enables that to happen than the one who hinders it. Make us wise and make us gentle and give us Christ-anointed eyes and lips. We pray in his name. Amen.